As you remember when we started the book of Revelation, and just a reminder as you're aware, there's a blessing that comes with it. Those who hear it, those who read it, and those who obey it will receive a blessing. Those who hear it, those who read it, and those who obey it. So somehow, our church and us as individuals will receive a blessing from this book. Now, blessings don't always come in packages the way that we, li uh, the way that we like. So who knows what the blessing, how the blessing is coming. It's just not always going to be prosperity the way that we think. It's not going to necessarily mean that we're building a balcony here at the church, that we're building, knocking out a wall, or that we're adding 500 people. It might not mean that more people just start tithing and we can clean a carpet that who knows what's on it. The rumor has it that um, COVID started from the sanctuary in the carpet. <laughs> Forget about Wuhan. <laughs> Rumor has it this is where it started. So uh, what, what I'm starting to speculate in doing, though, is we're going to get with the deacons and we're going to say, hey, we're going to peel up the carpet and install carpet ourselves, and then God will say, you're not qualified to do that. I have to send someone to fix your mistake, and they'll do it for free. So if next week you come in here and I start pulling it up, you know... I'm at least declaring and decreeing. Or we're going to have to give some money to get some new carpet. Nevertheless, we don't know how the blessing is going to come. But the promise is a blessing will come. And where our minds are narrow-minded is we often try to put a number or some kind of idea on what the blessing would look like. But isn't there just a blessing in understanding what the future will look like? That's a blessing, isn't it? Isn't there a blessing understanding that Jesus loves us and he defends us and he will protect us and Jesus wins? There's a blessing in that. But we are so materialistic within our nature that we try to think that the blessing means I'll get the job, I'll get the girl, I'll get the balcony, I'll get the car. That's not what he's talking about. This blessing of revelation is so much deeper. So today we will be talking about the Antichrist again. Revelation chapter 13 is full of the Antichrist. So just a little bit of background information. The term Antichrist speaks of one who will be here at the end, but it has had many who have come before him. So there's been many antichrists. There's antichrists right now. There's those who operate out of God's kingdom, and there's those who operate out of the other kingdom. And uh, next week, I'm going to give you exactly the, um, exactly the person who is the antichrist, and, um, because we've figured it, we've decoded it numerically, and it equals 666. So... And some people in here's names actually represent that. Ooh, how about that? So next week, we're going to give you the presentation of whose names. Jim Yoder. <laughs> but the only way I could come up with it was Jimothy. So <laughs> Jimothy Yoder, 666. And then <laughs> Jimothy. You're no longer Jim. I'm sorry. <laughs> He's like, I'm leaving. 
So there's been many antichrists. There is a antichrist, but there's coming many. There's been many antichrists. Pharaoh, I'd say Pharaoh was an antichrist, certainly by his actions and then the way that he led people. Um, you guys can think of many. Let's stay away from political figures, right? Though I do think political figures are antichrists. So 1 John 2.18, dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the antichrist is coming, even now many antichrists have come. This is how we know that it is the last hour. So the antichrist there is the Megalodon, and then there's many others that have been here before. Not only um, have there been many others, but the Antichrist will come out of a bottomless pit or abyss and attack God's people. Revelation 11:7. you guys should remember this. Now, when they finish their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower them and kill them. The other um, idea about the Antichrist is the term Antichrist is not in the book of Revelation. During the apocalypse, he is called the beast. And then other places in scripture, he is called the little horn, Daniel 7, 8. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another, sorry, another horn, a little one, which came up among them and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the eyes of a human being and a mouth that spoke boastfully. So the Antichrist has been called little horn or another horn, uh, a little one. He's been called the ruler, Daniel 9, 26. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one, will put to death and will have nothing. Will, yeah, will be put to death and have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have um, been decreed. The lawless one, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 8. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and exalt himself above everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. And then... He's called the Antichrist, 1 John 2.18. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. So with that being said, let's get into Revelation 13. Verse 1, the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads, and uh, with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. 
So this is where people who speculate have been really specific in the past. So when you search commentaries, they will speculate significantly what the um, exact meaning of everything is here. Now, as you've learned in private conversation, I will speculate from the pulpit. I will lay uh, maybe a little bit broader foundation. But what John sees here is a dragon standing at the sea. So the question must be, what is the sea? What does the sea represent? Is this a literal sea or is this a figurative sea? But what we must understand is in times past, the term or usage of the word sea represented the reservoir of chaos, also known as Buck Creek. <laughs> the reservoir of chaos. Thus, people would use this term to describe evil. So the term sea, because it was a reservoir of chaos, was used to describe bad things. Some people suggest that the sea could be symbolic for the abyss that Satan comes out of. And some think that it represents the nations of the world. I don't have a hard stance um, of where this sits, but what's important for us to recognize is what John sees coming out of the sea. And this vision that John has brings us back to Jan uh, Daniel. Daniel chapter 7. So Daniel chapter 7, verse 3. Four great beasts, each great from the others, came up out of the sea. So the beast in Daniel represents great empires and or government. So that's what he's talking about here, these beasts. Most people suggest that what he's talking about is Rome, and it would actually be the uh, revived Roman Empire. So let's continue. Um, yeah, the beast here in Revelation is likely the fourth beast that Daniel is referring to. Daniel chapter 7, 19 through 25. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying. So there's been beasts before, there's been antichrist before, this one is most terrifying. With its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the, um, the other horn that came up, before which three of them fell. The horn that came, sorry, the horn that looked more imposing than others and, the, and ha that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. So this beast is different, different than any other. It's most terrifying. 
It has iron teeth and bronze claws, likely talking about its ability to devour and destroy, to kill its foes. It crushes and devours its victims and tramples underneath its feet whatever is left. Its imposing horns wage war against the holy people and defeated them until Jesus returns. So this sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? A beast with iron teeth? So is this going to be, um, speculators might say that the Antichrist will have AI robots that are coming out against them, Terminator, out to kill people, who knows? But Daniel continues. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into, the, into his hands for a time, times, and a half time. So the beast has ten horns. So growing up, when you're trying to learn these things, you wonder if there's just going to be a beast with ten horns that comes up, comes out of the ocean, right? The water. Now, the fact of the matter is we're learning a lot is Revelation is symbolically speaking. But ten horns represent authority. Ten ruling leaders or ten kings. Daniel chapter 7, 24 confirms this. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. So what we start to see is the Antichrist is going to come, and when the Antichrist comes, he's going to be working with government systems. He's going to be working with, um, yeah, leaders around the world and influential places to destroy God's people. Now, as I've said before, um, God uses government, or not, well, God uses government too, but Satan uses government to push his agenda. So if we begin to look at the government today, do we not see a demonic agenda being pushed? And what we have to get out of our mind is that everything's fine now, and then one day everything will switch in a minute. It's the slow fade. The enemy is, I guess, isolating us or seeking to isolate us, to devour us. But what's happening is the slow fade of our government values, our biblical values, going in the wrong direction. So maybe let's just start with um, allowing certain drugs to be used. Or... Um, whatever else, right? I'm trying not to be too political. I'm not afraid to be political. But how about this? Just 
Homosexuality is a sin, right? Adultery is a sin. But what we see in our government is we're just starting to push whatever you want to be, you can go be it. Just go be it. So if you want to be a cat, go be a cat. If you want to be a female, though you're a male, God created you a male, go be it. So we see the government, the devil, the spirit of the Antichrist working through high places to destroy us. So 10 ruling leaders or 10 kings during this time, during the end, will be working together to destroy God's people. The beast has seven heads. So the seven heads or seven hills that the woman sits are not um, confined to just the Roman Empire, but every evil from all governments throughout history and also the conflict at the end. So Revelation 17, 9 through 10. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen. One is, the other one has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for a little while. So the seven heads are seven hills on which the women, woman sits. They are also seven kings. So the seven heads are seven kings. And then the ten crowns. Ten crowns represent power and authority of the ten nations. Some people believe ten crowns are, um, yeah, they're dis um, distributed. These ten crowns are distributed throughout the seven heads. Others believe that these ten crowns are distributed to the one because the one has the one antichrist is the most powerful and different than they've ever been. Um, so either way, this would represent the final Antichrist in the end of time with the authority and power that the world has never seen, these 10 crowns. So it's gonna be scary, right? This Antichrist is going to have a bunch of power. And again, we begin to see, and next week we'll talk more about this, but we begin to see what we have talked about, one world order. And I know there's a lot of people or some people in here who have believed for the longest time that one world order is a conspiracy or we don't want to discuss this or things like the Illuminati or Freemasons and how they're tied to the Illuminati, which are then also tied to one world order. And people are like, you're speculating too much, Joey. I'm not, keep on reading and researching and asking God to open up your eyes, but we begin to see these governmental places creating partnerships. And um, what's really unique is the World Health Organization. There is a bill that has been passed by all nations and allegedly will be going into, um, will be going into play this July where during any kind of world health crisis, like we had COVID, the World Health Organization will become the governing power. So we will not have autonomous decisions here in America. 
the war world health organization will oversee how we operate so that kind of makes it scary doesn't it now the only reason that that was able to be passed is because the world leaders all came together and agreed upon it so what would you call that i would call that one world order anyone i mean what else do you call it i would say okay fine one world agreement i mean how else do you want to change it if you don't want it to sound conspiracy, we have this agreement. So then how can that go wrong for us? Well, if the World Health Organization decides and the World Health Organization is not a Christian, um, this is not a Christian organization, right? So if they ever decided to say, hey, you guys cannot go to church because chicken pox is going around, then we can't go to church because we have given up the sovereignty during a global crisis. Nevertheless, probably too much for you guys. Who knows? Um, I want you to see this though. There are partnerships happening within the world that are pushing us towards what's happening here in Revelation chapter 13, if you would just open up your eyes. Now, you say, what do we do about it? I don't think I'm sorry, I don't think you're very serious. This is hard. I don't think that you're very serious about seeing change. Because what I see, and maybe not every one of you, right? But some of us. Most people that I talk to would much rather complain about government and how evil people are and how wrong they are more than they are praying. So more than they are fasting, more than they are worshiping. Most people just want to expose the evil and gripe and complain about it and gossip about it than they do want to see change. So if you want to see change in high places, number one, repent. Turn from your sin. Turn to God. Number two, ask God to open up your eyes. And then number three, pray and fast. Amen? And then number four, teach truth. Make disciples. How can we complain, this is even harder, how can we complain about our government if we haven't made any disciples within the past year? How can, we how can we complain about what's going on within our world if we haven't made one disciple? We can't. Can we? Why do we, why do we, and this is where our heart is deceitful, we think that we can complain about our nation's leaders but we haven't shared the good news of Jesus Christ and made a disciple, maybe our whole life. How does the world change? One person at a time. And the world doesn't change by simply saying, hey, go be better, or walking grandma or grandpa across the street. The world only changes when the world comes to know Jesus. And the only way that the world is going to come to know Jesus is when we make disciples. Do you guys agree with that, or is that too hard today? I think the only reason I'm not getting tomatoes is because you don't have any. <laughs> Quit complaining about the government and go preach Jesus to someone and watch the world change. Pray for people. Devote your life fully to God. Seek Him first rather than the other things. So the beast with 10 horns, seven heads, and 10 crowns. <clears throat> what this is helping us understand is this would, 
appear to imply that this beast isn't simply just a being. It's something far greater. And as I said, the beast will unite all the world's governments and will oppose anything and everything that is godly. Now, what's interesting, yeah, it's not going to happen overnight. Nevertheless, verse 2. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. So John is explaining what he sees to help us understand what he is talking about. The beast is not alone and has power in many different places. So the commentator smarter than me. The leopard represents um, the great Greek empire. And you can find this in Daniel chapter 7, verse 6. A bear is the Medo Persian Empire, Daniel 7 5. And a lion, the Babylonian Empire, Daniel 7 4. Therefore, the dragon, the beast, Satan, works through, yeah, so the dragon works through the Antichrist, the beast, to wage war against God and his people. And this is through, again, governing forces around the world. So what we begin to see here is part of the issue of why this is happening is Satan wants to be worshipped and treated like God. See, we saw that a couple weeks ago when Satan is in heaven and the war breaks out. And um, he, he desired power and to be worshipped. So verse 3, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? What we should notice really quickly is Satan is trying to act like God. He makes, um, yeah, this makes him a counterfeit. He's trying to do things to um, appear to be God. And what happens here is he imitates the resurrection and he also receives worship. That's what Satan does. He imitates the resurrection and he receives worship. So yet in verse 3, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. So some people have suggested that this fatal wound actually represents maybe a whole nation was destroyed and then it comes back. But essentially, I think when we study a little bit deeper, it's the person who's leading this nation. So this person receives a fatal wound to the head, and then they die, literally die. And after they die, um, a few days later, guess what? They come back to life. 
I don't know if it was last week or the week before, I ended up saying that someone said recently that if I see it, I will believe it. Any of you guys ever felt that way? God, if I would see this miracle, I would believe you more. We probably all felt that way, right? We probably all tried to test God and say, God, if you do this, then I will believe you. If you haven't done that, raise your hand. All of us. All of us. So it's not about seeing. It's about believe, and then you will see. And the reason why we shouldn't say, God, if we see it, we will believe it, because there are counterfeit miracles. And this is something I learned um, in times past in ministry, not here. But there are counterfeit miracles that are not of God. So, um, yeah, the being receives a fatal wound to the head and dies. Yeah, some believe that it was a person. Others believe that it was a nation. I stand today that this is a person who represents a high place in the world. They receive a fatal wound, and then they come back to life. Because this is the Antichrist, he fakes overcoming the grave as a counterfeit and comes back to life. As Scripture says, the whole world will be filled with wonder, and they will follow the beast because of this miracle. So if we keep on saying as a generation, God, if you would do this, I would follow you. God, if you would do that, I would follow you. God, if I saw a miracle, I would follow you. You are setting yourself up to be deceived by the spirit of the Antichrist. Amen. Amen. So because they were amazed, they follow him. And not only did they follow him because they were amazed, they also put him in a distinct place. Verse 4, people worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshiped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? So they're asking the question, who is like this beast? Who is like this guy? Who is more powerful than him? He was dead, and now he's alive. They did all this because of a counterfeit miracle. One author says it this way. How like Satan, the one who disguises himself as an angel of light, will provide the world with a copycat Christ to match all their man-centered ideals of personality Politics and power. No wonder the whole world will be swept off its feet by this attractive, persuasive figure. In fact, we are told the whole world will worship the dragon through their worship of the beast. In its rapid, rabid fit of hypernationalism that will make Hitler's Third Reich look like a high school sporting event. The world will cry out, who is like the beast and who is able to wage war against him? So they're going to see this go on and they're going to worship the beast. They're going to worship Satan. And I want to say this again. Miracles are not proof that it's godly. If we think that miracles are proof that it's godly, we are deceived. 
Just because, yeah, but just because miracles are not proof that it's godly, it doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for them or be okay with them. We still pray for miracles. We still expect God to perform miracles. Amen? God is still alive today. So we will pray for people's healings. We will pray for people's finances. We will pray for people's um, emotional health, physical health. We will pray for people's encouragement. We will pray that people have hope. And we also expect that God will hear our prayers. But a miracle doesn't mean that it's godly. Yet, if we are not grounded in his word, in the word of God, and have a relationship with Jesus, we will fall for false miracles. Wonder turns to worship here in Revelation chapter 13, and their wonder led them to idolatry. Being that I've been involved in many charismatic um, groups, I'm still a charismatic pastor. Um, I've been in groups that are way more charismatic than me, and it scares me. And um, yeah, there's just been many situations where people have felt like, uh, for example, um, there was a healing service that I was a part of, and I'm all for healing services, right? I'm all for healing services that are godly, that um, God directs, not man directs. I don't think that I can just plan a healing service and say that God's going to show up. That's my opinion, right? Um, I've seen God heal people. We've seen God heal um, a rare bone cancer. We've seen God heal stage three uh, brain cancer. We've seen God move. We've seen God heal hearts, and we've seen God heal sin. Amen? God is a healer. But at this specific service, there was a woman that our ministry just um, interviewed to do um, partner with children's ministry. We interviewed her, and while we interviewed her, what typically takes, with small talk, 45 minutes to interview her to be a partner, ended up taking two hours because she had a bad stutter. And um, she finally got through the interview, and we were going to bring her on, and... Um, a week later, we're having the healing service, and during the healing service, she went up to the, um, she went up to the stage and said that during the service, God healed her. And while she was up there, she had the microphone, and she talked normal, absolutely normal, just as, I was going to say, as I'm talking now, <laughs> but, but you know, right? <laughs> you know. So better than I was even talking now. She was just talking normal and testifying, God healed me. I felt the presence of God in my life. But when we were at this healing service, before we were there, um, I just had questions in my spirit. And um, while I was praying, whether I was right or wrong, whether I was making up or just afraid of it, I saw a wolf in sheep's clothing. And Macy and I wrestled through it, and I shared it with some people. I just saw saw a wolf in sheep's clothing. I said, I just don't feel the presence of God here in the way that I felt him before when he's healed people, when he's delivered people, when he set people free. But um, we were going on with the service. She shared, and then everyone was amazed, especially those who just did the interview. Well, the next week, she was supposed to come to Shadow, 
at Children's Church. She never came. The week after she was supposed to come, she never came. So we ended up making a few phone calls. She never answered. Called her family. They said, well, we haven't heard from her either. They went um, to her house, and um, the family went to the house to check on her. She didn't answer the door, so they walked in the door, and she'd been sitting in the room having not eaten for a couple weeks, rocking in a corner in the darkness. She still had a stutter. So what was going on? In my opinion, I felt like, and I want to be careful, right? I'm not accusing this person of being a wolf in sheep's clothing. Maybe it was the spirit or what was happening. I don't, don't want to operate as an accuser. I just had a lot of caution. And I, when I've seen God heal people, I've always seen it be complete. I've just seen him do the restoration work fully. So I'm, I'm not sure what ended up happening where she came up on stage, she talked normal, and then now she's sitting in a corner for two weeks in the darkness, not coming out of her room. So I'm not sure that she was healed, but it was testified to the congregation that she was healed. So false miracles make us follow people if we don't use discernment. So in the latter days, which we are in now, we must use discernment with who we are following. Amen? Just because YouTube preacher or insert preacher has 10 million people following them, or just because YouTube preacher talks about the healings that they've seen or healings that they've performed, doesn't mean we are to trust them. Because if we have the heart that says, I want to see it and then I'll believe it, we will be deceived. Either way, ultimately, Satan desires to be worshipped and treated like God. And that's what's going on here. So Satan, Satan wages war against God's people. Verse 5. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. Every tribe, people, language, and nation. Second, Second Thessalonians 2.4. He will oppose himself or he will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. So the beast is given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies. All that he's doing is speaking blasphemies, slandering God, and the people of heaven. Don't we already see this happening in high places? Don't we see in the government blasphemies coming from the government's mouth? Don't we see in government blasphemies coming against the people of Jesus Christ? We see this happening. So we can clearly, as we read scripture, see the spirit of the Antichrist at work. 
The Bible is true. That is why the spirit of the Antichrist moves this way. He will also seek to destroy God's people of every tribe, people, language, and nation. So the truth of the matter is sheer suffering, pain, and injustice will take place. And this will go on for three and a half years. So I ask you today, who do you worship? Do you worship the Antichrist or do you worship Jesus? Now, I'm not asking based upon what you think you worship. I'm asking, what does your life say you worship? The way that your day is directed. When you wake up, do you say, God, this is what I'm doing? You're tagging along? Or do you say, God, what do you want me to do today? What does your life say you worship? Because you can only worship one. Last point as we wrap up. The world will be deceived, but God's people will not be. Amen? That's good news. Even Matthew 24 tells us the elect would be deceived if that's possible. Nevertheless, verse 8. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Whoever has ears, let them hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity, they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword, they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. So there's two groups that we should see here as we wrap up today. All the inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, and this group will be deceived and worship the beast. And then the other group, all those who have been written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the group who put their faith in the blood of Jesus and who will be victorious. Revelation 3.5 says this, the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but I will acknowledge the, that name before my father and his angels. So when the Antichrist rises up, he's already in high places moving through government today. Our job is to be in prayer for our government and to be making disciples. Amen? Amen. So as that happens, our greatest defense before a holy God is our righteousness through the blood of Jesus. But as these things are culminating and coming together and we see the end is drawing nearer and nearer. We can have peace because our names are written in the good book. Our peace is not in keeping this life. Our peace is not in how good things go here. Our peace is not in our vacation to Cancun or Florida or the fair for some people. Right? That's not our peace. Our peace is not the day off. Our peace is knowing that when all hell breaks loose on earth and even in our personal life, 
that we are written, our name is written in the good book of life, and we will be set free for eternity. Amen? But believers will face hard times. And you facing a hard time does not mean that you're not serving God right. You facing a hard time is about patience and endurance. Believers will face hard times. They will face captivity in the end. There's a good chance that our very blood, kids, grandkids, cousins, ourselves, in the end, will face captivity or be killed. Our future generations, or maybe this generation, because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we will be put in captivity and even killed. Scary, isn't it? But that's not our reward. Our reward is not not being in captivity. Our reward is to be with Jesus forever. And through these hard times, what God calls us to today is to have patient endurance and faithfulness, to endure and to be faithful. So as the world continues to decay, may we be thankful for Jesus' sacrifice and faithfulness he has to us. May we be faithful to the things he has called us to today. So I challenge you, we clearly see that in high places, the government is at work with the Antichrist. What are we to do? Pray, make disciples. Father, it's just ever clear how the spirit of the Antichrist is working. The end is near. The end is near, Father. I pray that you would increase in us patient endurance. And Father, um, I do know personally that that patient endurance can only come from a relationship with you and reading your word. Father, I also pray that we wouldn't be people that are complaining, but we would pray that we would seek your face. We love you, we need you, and open up our eyes today. Make it clear to us where we are called to make disciples and who we are called to pray for. May we not just do our proverbial checkoff, Father, to pray and then have the rest of the day to ourselves, but may we truly and genuinely just enjoy spending time with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen.